Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired NYPD sergeant with 27 years of service. And with me today, my co-host, straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing today, Phil? I'm doing pretty good today, Billy. How about you? I'm doing great. And we have an amazing guest today. And uh, I'm so happy that you came on. We have Ashley Banfield. You may have known her from years ago at CNN. And now she's on News Nation. She's an excellent reporter. And uh, Ashley, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It's why we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about the Gabby Petito case. I mean, I know that you covered it right from the beginning. But before we get into that, we're gonna just play the police off the cuff intro song. It's a show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories. Hear some jokes, even an interview with the most popular folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff. One episode just saying enough. Get a little laughter and an interview too. It's maybe the best thing you can do. Welcome back, everyone. We're going to talk today about the Gabby Petito case. And finally, the finality of this, the closure of this, specifically by the FBI, who tells us no one else could have possibly done this, yet they just uh, provided us with a one-page closure of this case, which, uh, frankly, to me, uh, isn't enough to answer the myriad of questions that everyone uh, must have in regards to this case. Ashley, I know you covered this case right from the beginning. How do you feel right now that it's been closed out? Are you satisfied? No, <laughs> I'm, not. I'm with you 100%. Um, I really fully expected a, a complete document dump, honestly, Bill. Um, when I covered from the same FBI field headquarter office in Denver, the Chris Watts case, the guy who killed his pregnant wife and two daughters and stuffed their bodies into oil tanks, the immense volume of information that uh, was released afterwards about the investigation, uh, once he had pleaded you know, guilty and uh, that the story effectively was over, that the investigation was over, uh, was very um, satisfying. And I, I don't like to use that word, but I think it's fair because the public has a vested interest in what happens. We're paying for these prosecutions. We're paying for these incarcerations. We also wanna stay safe. We wanna know what to look for. We wanna know when it's the boogeyman. We wanna know when it's the man that lives in our own house. So I expected the full treatment, the full Chris Watts treatment uh, with this case. And it was, uh, I was woefully underprepared for what we got. You know, Ashley, there was a lot of people, especially content providers on YouTube, that were implying that Brian Laundry could be the serial murderer who killed those two females yeah. in the Grand Teton Parks. And I mean, that needed to be slam dunked, shut the door. And, yeah. you know, I would know from my uh, experience in police work, I think that they would have released that had the ballistics matched. You know, I think they would have said earlier, no, that's that's been eliminated. And they really didn't do that. So it made 
social media, it turned it into a frenzy, really. Yeah, I think you, um, it's six of one, half dozen of the others. And you guys would know this more than I do because I'm always trying to get info from you. <laughs> you guys are <laughs> always trying to shut me down. But I do believe that there there is a happy medium to be reached where you can uh, assuage the worry of the public, uh, stop the media from trying their best to do their job and you know getting on as many experts as they can who may say something irresponsible. And just the general frenzy, like you said, of the internet. Um, it, it's a new world. It's the Wild West we live in now, right? With, with armchair detectives out there who think they know best and haven't got a lick of experience in law enforcement or legal. And they can do some damage, clearly. They can certainly poison a jury pool. So yeah, I, I, I feel for officers these days. Uh, when I say officers, I mean court officers, law officers, investigators, because it is, it is tricky what to release when not to spoil an investigation and when to hopefully not allow a, an investigation to be spoiled by frantic, you know, frenzy. Absolutely. Phil, before you weigh in, and I know you're dying to jump in here, I just want to put the FBI's one-page statement on the screen. Uh, this is their statement. And, you know, this was what, like a five or six-month investigation? All logical investigative steps have been concluded in this case. The investigation did not identify any other individuals other than Brian Laundrie directly involved in the tragic death of Gabby Petito. The FBI's primary focus throughout the investigation was to bring justice to Gabby and her family. The public's role in helping us in this endeavor was invaluable as the investigation was covered in the media and around the world. On behalf of the FBI, I want to express my dearest, deep, excuse me, deepest appreciation to the public for the thousands of tips that were provided during the investigation and to our local, state, and federal law enforcement uh, partners for their work throughout the investigation. Special Agent in Charge, Michael H. Snyder, FBI, Denver office. Bill. Billy, I just want to, uh, before I comment on that, and I have a lot to say about that statement, I just want to slam the door shut on the Kyleen Schlute and Crystal Turner double homicide, which uh, the bodies were found on August the 18th in the South Mesa area of Utah in Moab. Uh, they believed that they were killed based on the investigation. They believed they were killed on the 14th. And there was a statement yesterday that I read on the internet from the FBI and Florida investigators that there was electronic transmission evidence, sounds like cell phones, that uh, concluded that neither Gabby Petito or Brian Laundrie were involved in the homicide. So let's slam the door shut on that. There are several persons of interest. I know we don't like to use that. It seems like several suspects have been identified already in that case. So we can slam the door shut on that. As far as the statement by the FBI, and I agree with Ashley that there's a lot of unanswered questions that, that statement is telling us what they believe, but we need a little bit more. There was a, a very big crime scene investigation when Gabby Petito's body was found. Previous to that, there was the investigation, the crime scene evidence that was done on the vehicle. And there's a lot of unanswered questions. Did the gun that was found next to Brian's body, did it come from the laundry home. We believe there was a gun missing. It probably was that, but they're really not. We couldn't find anything on any of the stories or any of the research that we did uh, indicating whether or not that was actually the gun that was missing from the laundry home. Sounds like it was, but there are certain things that I'm sure were discussed with the family. And we had said it before it even happened that that, uh, that meeting that took place, I believe last Thursday uh, with the Petito family where they went over everything. We were encouraging that to take place. It did take place. I'm sure there's more stuff that was discussed with them, but I think that publicly maybe uh, a little more uh, 
on what they found and, and how did they come to those conclusions would definitely be beneficial. And maybe the, the public has a right to know those things. Ashley, I'm expecting you to comment. <laughs> so I muted because my dog was barking. Um, oh, okay. But I'll tell you what, um, there, if you, there was a little bit more in the report, like, so that was the statement that the FBI released. And then there was like a, you know, a one pager report and I was expecting a few hundred, but um, the thing I learned that was new was that Brian was texting himself yes. between Gabby's phone, Brian's phone to make it look like she was still alive. That was fascinating to me because now it made me think they've got or at least they found their phones or they found enough evidence to realize he was doing that. Cause originally we had heard the police and any investigative authorities could not find either of their phones. And he buys the new phone when he gets back to Florida that I found interesting, but I still believe in my heart of heart that they're leaving the door open to prosecute the laundries for something. Because I think that, that Brian, look, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed, clearly. And I think that he had some kind of communication with his parents on the way back. Absolutely. So that long journey that he took where he used Gabby's uh, debit card to get gas, etc. I think that there may have been some kind of communication with the family or some help along the way in some way, whether it was just electronic help with the family talking to him or whether it was something else that they're preserving from us because there still may be a net that they're trying to get the laundries to swim into um, as accessory after the fact. You know, I totally agree with you. I, I find it hard to believe that he would have drove all of that distance with that Probably. heavy, th <laughs> yeah, heavy yeah. thing on his mind that he just killed my girlfriend. And yeah. I'm not going to tell anybody. I think he told his parents exactly what happened and their complicity. Look, I want to get into it later on, but not this minute about their attorney. Cause I have problems with their attorney too. And uh, I think of all the reporters on television that interviewed Stephen Bertolino, I think you did the best job uh, because okay. I, I had some problems with, first of all, had he not told him to his advice to lawyer up and not to talk, would Brian Laundry be dead today? And, you know, that's you have to consider that. And the other thing was, if he was so concerned, why wasn't his ass in Florida? Why was he advising, uh, you know? Well, it was. He went briefly to Florida and had a clandestine meeting in Orlando with his clients. And there may have been another uh, attorney as well involved there. We can't get, really get clarity on who the other person might have been. It seemed that there were more than one. There was more than one uh, attorney. But I, I will go further here. I think Brian Laundrie would be alive today. I think we'd have a lot more evidence and information on uh, what exactly happened to Gabby and what the motive was to do this if the police had arrested him. And I look, I've seen probable cause cases that were like, I don't know, they looked they looked suspicious, you know, like I've seen, right, right. I've seen that pass muster. But this one, okay, I'm not a lawyer. But I will tell you this, out of 34 years of doing this job, uh, a guy comes back from a cross-country trip with uh, his girlfriend without said girlfriend, is driving said girlfriend's car. Said girlfriend has been reported missing by parents. Parents report that boyfriend and boyfriend's parents are non-responsive. And boyfriend is now inside the house of said parents and said parents refuse to cooperate with police. If that doesn't amount to probable cause to arrest somebody for the suspicious disappearance of his girlfriend, 
And then, by the way, in a nanosecond, you'd have had the, the debit card use. I don't know what is probable cause. Actually, I 100% agree with you. I think there was, based on circumstantial evidence, and circumstantial evidence for our audience means from what inferences are drawn. You could have drawn huge inferences from when circumstantial evidence is piled up high on top of each other. It's very, very powerful. You guys tell me, your cops, your investigators, a man is driving the vehicle of a missing woman. That's all I need. All the other stuff is just to cherry in the uh, whipped cream. But the man is driving the vehicle of the missing woman and refuses to tell police why. That's it. That, it's me? so funny. It's so funny you said that, Ashley, because in one of the early shows that we did, we had an attorney who's a former police officer, Joe Murray, and I suggested he should be charged with unauthorized use of a vehicle because she's nowhere to be found. The car's registered in her name, and he gave me a lot of pushback on that. But I felt that even if the charge wasn't going to stick, obviously you made the point. Had they had him in custody, he would be alive today. That's one point. But I want to make another point, too. When you talked about the cell phones, there was suspicion right up front from Gabby's mom that she felt that she had gotten a text message from Gabby's phone and she didn't believe that it was Gabby. And I think the point that you made earlier, uh, cell phones, when they uh, send a message or when they receive a call, uh, there's data that will tell you the exact location of the cell phone when those things take place because they hit a cell tower. When a phone is being used on a call, you can get actual exact location where that phone is at the time that that call is going down. So that information might take a little time to, to get. But this thing really got started around September 1st when he returned home to Florida. He didn't go missing for a few days after that. They went on that trip and everything. So again, I agree with you. There was probably probable cause to take him into custody at the least they should have had a 24-hour surveillance bolt front and back at that oh, house let me add to that phil uh this also gets my blood boiling so they got kind of savvy right when when the laundry parents and uh, wouldn't allow access to their little boy inside the bungalow and uh they decided to put electronic surveillance on the neighbor across the uh street right facing yes. the front of the laundry house right. and the backyard they went to the backyard over the fence neighbors and they put electronic surveillance in the backyard looking at the laundry house so they had the wherewithal those were done at different times but they had the wherewithal to think let's keep eyes on this guy and then in true keystone cops uh you know <laughs> method they mistook him for Mrs. Laundry. Yeah, his mother. Yeah, exactly. Hey, okay. First of all, we've all seen Mrs. Laundry. There's, a, I, I can't even. Um, but, but if you wanted more probable cause, here's a guy who's leaving his house with a gun, in a backpack, and a notebook saying, "I am responsible." Whatever his language was, which they also didn't satisfy us with, right? Um, there was your automatic arrest and charge with first, second, whatever you wanted to do, because the notebook would have given you every confession you wanted, but you thought it was a, a broad. Ashley, the well, Ashley, I, I I the, with the surveillance, real quick, Bill, the, the problem I had with the video surveillance was this. Yeah, video surveillance front and back, good. But if they leave the location, why isn't there somebody following where they're going? Maybe he's going to destroy evidence. There should have been a 24-hour surveillance on that house. The, the FBI was involved. If the uh, local police didn't have enough manpower to do a surveillance, they should have enlisted the FBI or other state agency in Florida. They, they dropped the ball at that point, for sure. Huge. I mean, that, that 
24 hour surveillance was live. From our understanding, it was monitored back at, you know, uh, at local HQ yes. and whomever was watching, God, they'll never release that name was the person who mistook it for Mrs. Laundry and thought all good here, you know, and, and I look at that moment as the moment where you would have had him with a gun, you would have had him with a notebook and you would have had a case closed like that. And you'd have him alive and satisfaction for the potatoes. You know, Ashley, I think the Northport police were in over their head and there is no way you can count on electronic surveillance. You need physical surveillance. Exactly. And, you know, this could have been as uh, as much as they didn't want to pay the overtime. Oh, I've seen this happen on the NYPD. Oh, no, yeah. we're sending you home. But there's a serial killer out there. We're not paying the overtime. I've seen that happen on police departments. So here's the thing. Uh, the way they uh, accommodated for this catastrophic mistake was they said, we, you know, the person who had eyes on mistook Brian for his mom. That is the worst cover story. If that's right, what you're right. made up, I would, I mean, listen, if you're just trying to put one over on everybody, you say, oh, somebody went to the bathroom. They had the right to do that. And it was in that split second. It happened. And we could all understand that. It'd be frustrating, but it also makes sense. Right. right. But, to, but to, I can only think the story's true because why would you possibly make up something so buffoonish as we mistook him for mom? You know, and later on, they were spiking the football that they did something really great. And you were like, wait a minute, aren't you the guys that lost him on the surveillance? And by the way, it was a neighboring uh, cop that that from another community that came in and spiked a football he had nothing to do with, which was even worse. Uh, I don't know why the chief of police stood behind him from Northport, but it was the neighboring uh, jurisdiction who right. made point on that stupid press conference where the whole press corps was saying, is that you could hear them on camera? Is this even a press conference? Are you kidding me? I mean, it was it was embarrassing. It was bad. I'm gonna just play a little bit of the FBI's um the finding of um of Brian's notebook. I'm gonna just play a little bit of this on the screen. Um investigation into her murder. They laid out a detailed timeline of the case and said they quickly focused on the last person believed to have seen Gabby alive her boyfriend, Brian. The Petito family released a statement of their own after the meeting saying, quote, the quality and quantity of the facts and information collected by the FBI leave no doubt Brian Laundrie murdered Gabby. CNBC's Valerie Castro now with the newly released details in the case. Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie. Theirs was a relationship that would tragically end near Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming last September, where Gabby's remains were discovered. Investigators say she died of blunt force injuries and was strangled. The nation was gripped by the story of the missing young woman when her boyfriend Brian returned to his parents' home in Florida with her white camper van. Gabby's whereabouts, a mystery. The pair had been on a cross-country trip, visiting national parks, documenting their van life experience. An encounter with police in Utah revealed a fraught and tense relationship with reports of physical violence between the two, but they continued on their journey. The following month, Gabby's parents would report her missing, fearing that a final text message from her reading, no service in Yosemite, may have been a ruse. The FBI says text messages sent after Gabby's death are indicative of Mr. Laundry attempting to deceive law enforcement by giving the impression Ms. Petito was still alive. 
As the investigation continued, Brian went missing himself. His parents reporting his disappearance on September 17th, saying he'd never returned home from a hike days earlier. Though up until that point, Northport, Florida police assured the public they knew where Brian was. On September 19th, with help from social media, investigators found Gabby's remains in an area where the white van had been caught on dash cam by fellow campers. Back in Florida, a manhunt was underway for Brian. Acres of marshland in a nature preserve near his parents' home were scoured for weeks. Reported sightings of Brian poured in from around the country. On October 20th, the FBI was notified by the Laundry family attorney that his parents wished to search the area themselves. Within hours, they located an item in the park, later determined to belong to Mr. Laundry. His skeletal remains were found nearby, along with a notebook and a revolver. Kelly, what is still unclear is whether or not Brian ever discussed what happened to Gabby or her whereabouts with his parents once he returned home to Florida. There's so many things right there in that little synopsis that everyone has a million questions about. You know, how did the laundries know exactly where to search for him? Right. I mean, that that'll make the least suspicious person on this earth say, that's crazy. You know? uh, yeah, listen, and then, and of course the the explanation for that additional Keystone Cops uh move that they missed it 20 yards off the path. They missed him dead, his backpack, his all you know, his belongings, uh, a dry bag as well as the backpack. Uh, and yet the Mr. And Mrs. Laundry found it five minutes into their walk off the main entrance of that park so that their excuse was, well, it was underwater. But I interviewed the uh, canine experts in that community that had their dog there. I think the dog's name was uh, Diesel or something to do with oil anyway. And they said, no, water doesn't deter the dogs. Water is not something that's a problem for these dogs. They actually can smell what's on the surface of all um, you know, water searches, which I thought was unbelievable. I mean, Hollywood's told me for years, you know, jump into the water. They they can't smell you in the water, but the, the, the expert canine handler said, yes, indeed, these dogs can. I believe cadaver dogs can do that. They have that ability, yes. Okay. But I don't know point. if they were using cadaver. At that point, I understand that they were using cadaver because there is only one for that whole jurisdiction and it had come in from a neighboring community, but anyway, like I said, I, I I still don't buy that, that it, the water had receded. It's right off the path. You walked through that to enter the path for months, right? So weren't you walking the dogs in there? I mean, it just sounded crazy to me. Right. You know, I, I still, I, I want to know the nexus between Brian that he 100% killed Gabby. And I do believe he did. But what was, was there physical evidence? What was their trace evidence? What was the evidence besides the fact that you found his notebook and you refused to tell anyone what it said for months? What, it, yeah, what does it mean when you said he admitted, well, they didn't even use the word admitted, that he indicated in the notebook that he was responsible for her death? Well, that could say to me, I left her there alone to go get right. the beans and the bear killed her. I'm responsible. That's different. What's the motive? Were you fighting? Did you grab her around the neck? And is the actual finding from the medical examiner your hands that did it? That's what I want to know. Yes, because there was no and the and the other thing is, what made you think that a hundred percent he shot and killed himself? I know the gun was there, but other than the fact that that makes sense that he did it, or and he could have also written in his notebook that he was going to kill himself, 
But was there also physical evidence? Was there ballistic evidence on the scene that matched the ballistics to the None of those questions were answered to my liking at all. No, no. But, you know, uh, the only thing I can say is that, you know, early on we had said what what could possibly have been the cause of death if, if Brian Laundrie, you know, died by his own hand. And, uh, you know, a few people suggested, well, maybe he shot himself. And I said, well, that's crazy because they would have found a gun right next to him because you don't kill yourself and then go hide the gun. Right. And the police had never said a word about a gun being used. And then if it's true that this had, the body had been there for quite some time, then then you have the Casey Anthony issue, right? Bones are dragged and the the, 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 the death scene is disturbed. It's not that you don't get the same forensics uh, ripeness as you would if you had been able to see that body right away. But, you know, a gun doesn't move much in the water. And the other things were, were nice and close by. But yeah, I would have wanted to see trajectory of the bullet mark through the skull. I would have wanted to see if it's being held like that or being held like that. I mean, those are all very, very different things that you hear in a courtroom that aren't so hard to process. You know, well, some of the things that were released regarding, um, you know, uh, the crime scene investigation on the van. We don't know if she wasn't killed in the back of that van and then a body was removed to the to the place where right. they found the body. So that's one of the things that I'd like to know. What did they recover from that van? And I think the, the jump that they made saying that it was a suicide, probably there was something written in the notes. And I believe and it sounds like I mean, it hasn't been, uh, you know, 100 uh, percent verified the gun was probably taken from his house. So if it's the gun that was removed from his house and the parents say, yes, he did leave with the gun because he was going to go on this hike and he wanted protection. And then he states in the note that he was going to kill himself and the ballistics matches the gun. The gun is found. That's where I think that they probably got to the point of saying that it was a suicide. I mean, unless you have an eyewitness, you can't say 100%. Phil, you said that he might've taken the gun for protection. This is a fella who just went on a cross-country trip in Wyoming where there are grizzly bears who didn't have a gun. So now right. he wants to go out for a day hike, but needs well, a gun for protection. I don't think he, that, I don't think that's a gun guy. <laughs> no, no. I, well, listen, it's conjecture. Maybe he yeah. took the gun without the parents knowing, but I just want to make a point about the parents. They 100%, whether he told them I killed my girlfriend or not, they 100% know that there was a tremendous suspicion that he had killed her. 100% they knew that. And I think they made themselves, I don't know about accessory to the murder. I don't think that they, you can get to that point. But they made themselves accessory to Brian Laundrie's suicide. They allowed him to leave the house. Whether or not he was talking yeah. about suicide or not, that had to enter their minds. And if it didn't, well, then shame on them. I just want to, you know, maybe play a little devil advocate here. Knowing if it were my child and involved in this horrible situation, I would try to get out in front of it. And, you know, maybe because I'm in law enforcement, I know about the law. I would want to try and get out in front of it and say, listen, let's cooperate with the police. And maybe a deal could be made where you can spend time in jail and have the light of day sometime in the future. That was the way they should have gone with this. The attorney, I think he holds some responsibility as well. Billy made that point earlier. He he had to know you know, there was this tremendous suspicion that he killed his girlfriend. And now you're going to let this guy go out on a hike by himself, whether or not they knew about the gun. I don't know. But I, I think that the, uh, you know, the, the thought had to pop into their heads at some point and say, this kid could be suicidal. Or, you know? and, or, and they didn't do any justice. Wait, what if they were truly accessories after the fact and were concealing a felon, right? 
harboring a felon and and harboring is not just putting him in your house but also helping him to to you know secret away what if oh, they 100 were doing that right. I think and there was no the, there was no thought that crossed their mind about suicide here it was more just mom i'm gonna lay low i'm gonna head to whatever state where auntie so-and-so is i'm just gonna go on foot and i'm gonna meet so-and-so but I, i'll i'll keep you posted and then we'll all figure this out later with mr bertolino that could have been what brian was up to and maybe that you know the guilt just got to him and he that did sounds reasonable knowing you know yeah that sounds reasonable and again we don't know when that note was written out it could have been written out when he was out in that area where his body was found so but i just feel like these people have to live with that fact that they could have been listen there's a criminal justice system he could have even gotten off it we don't know what evidence there was i think there was a slam dunk a yeah. conviction in his future had he been alive and been brought to justice. But, you know, with that said, whether or not he was going to get convicted, we really don't know. But either way, if he was convicted, they could have been visiting him in jail and maybe he could have gotten uh, freedom somewhere down the line. And, uh, you know, they, they're going to have to live with that. And I think that their their actions really contributed to his suicide. I called them an accessory and unfortunately they are. Unorthodox. Can I let that dog out or he's just going to keep sure. working? <laughs> sure, go ahead. Absolutely. You know, Billy, I just feel like I don't want to throw daggers at them. I just feel like they definitely made themselves accessories to his suicide. And, I, know, I think they were 100% involved in hiding everything. Oh, I, uh, Ashley, I had spoken to you uh, a couple of times about your interactions with Stephen Bertolino. Mm -hmm. And um, – I had some problems with him. I just want to play a little bit of um, your interactions with him. It got a little bombastic a couple of times. and But I think that was great because you were trying to get to the bottom of it. And look, if anyone lies uh, with the best of them, it's attorneys. You know, uh, that's why lawyer and liar sound almost the same, you know. But I'm just going to play a little like bit. That, of <laughs> I'm going to play a little bit of this and we'll see uh, what happens here. I would ask you respectfully, let's play the clip. Let's hear, not from Brian, let's hear from Josh Taylor once again. I can spare the okay. minute. Um, let's you play got, it. Well, you want you, you, we've had, yeah, we've line. got, we've had 40 with you, but the control room is about to play it. So control room, fire let's away. Let's roll. I don't know. Let's listen. To Mr. Bertolino says that he called and reported Brian missing sooner than Friday. And that it was just the official report filed on Friday. Is that true? I can tell you that the Northport Police Department, that when we got the call on Friday that he was being reported missing, was news to us. I was in the room myself. It was uh, a very uh, surprising moment. Uh, I can say that with 100% certainty. Um, whatever he may have said in passing, you know, this is a situation where we're trying to, you know, they were uncooperative on Saturday, not revealing any details. We've got a missing young lady. Um, really, their credibility was, you know, what's going on there. He, if I'm understanding him correctly, he says that he may have said something to an, someone in the FBI. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Um, what I know is that none of our actions and what we've said show that that's a possibility at all. Do you see what you they said? Nothing that they Ashley? say says Ashley. that it's a possibility at all. I mean, did you hear that last line, Mr. Bernalino? Nothing that yeah, we've I seen says that's a possibility at all. What he said was he may have said it in passing, and then he said, I don't know. That's what he said, Ashley. I'll take it. No, he said it's not now. a possibility at all. 
No, he didn't say that. Not Mr. McCallum. Yeah, I think we should get Brian Enton and he conducted the interview. He sent us the tape. We've now played it twice. Go ahead, Brian. Well, I just had a quick question for Mr. Bertolino that I was thinking about. I mean, if he was at home watching the news all week and hearing the police say that they had eyes on Brian and the laundries were, were watching the news or were hearing from Mr. Bertolino that the police were saying that. But if they were worried about Brian and he was missing and, you know, they wanted him to be found, like, wouldn't you want to correct the record so that people would actually be looking for Brian? So, Brian, we're not going to get to the bottom of this. You know, I'll get past the fact that Ashley won't concede that what was said out of Josh Taylor's own mouth was that I may have said it in passing and that he does not know. Let's move past that because the tape speaks for itself. What I will tell you, Brian, is we were not at that moment. We were not concerned that Brian you know, had hurt himself or wasn't coming home. You know, Chris and Roberta had indicated to me that Brian had gone out camping and hiking for multiple days, many, many times. He was a young man. They weren't concerned. They thought he was clearing the air, clearing his mind. It wasn't until we got the call on Friday that there was a tip he was seen in Tampa that we were concerned. Why did you why did you report it to the FBI, Mr. Bertolino? If they, they thought he needed to clear his mind and he's an avid hiker and camper, why were you calling or talking to them on Monday night or Tuesday morning saying, yikes, he hasn't come home? Why, why is it an Ashley, issue? Nobody, Ashley, nobody said, yikes, he hasn't come home, Ashley. <laughs> so let's why would you that, report okay? it to the FBI if he didn't no, come home, Ashley. if he just needed to clear his mind? Lose the word report. I was having conversations with the FBI a couple of times a day on those few days. What I said to you was, in my conversation with the FBI, either Monday night or Tuesday morning, I mentioned to the FBI that, by the way, Brian didn't come home. As part of that conversation, I was reminded today from the FBI, he said, yes, I remember distinctly because you said to me, would you come home with all those press in front of your house? He okay, Un, you know, unbelievable. Uh, I've seen tap dancers that aren't as good as him, you know. But one of the things that uh, is amazing, I, I kept thinking of, he wanted to clear his mind because he had just killed somebody. <laughs> you know? Well, I do, I do have to say that, you know, um, somebody who wants to go out on an overnight hike, uh, with all of this swirling around, with all of the attention, with all of the issues, you've just come back, whether the laundries knew everything or not, they knew something and it's just not normal. And, and in my line of work, we have a, we have a, an expression that we throw around in our meetings all the time that gives us an indication of how, how much public interest do you think there might be in this story? And that line is who does that? And if you get the, that line, who does that? Connected with a story, uh, typically it translated, you know, translates into to public interest because it doesn't make sense and it's unreasonable. And the word unreasonable is important. We actually imply it in jurisprudence. It's the standard by which you judge someone guilty or not guilty. Is it reasonable? And so when someone behaves in an unreasonable way, that should raise a lot of flags.
And you could say that not just about Brian, but about both his parents. They Absolutely. were definitely behaving in an unreasonable way. They and, you know, to get who back, does that, right, Phil? No, I, who, who does that? Does yeah. You know, I have a favorite expression, too, and I didn't make it up. And I, I always say, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it has web feet like a duck, it's a duck. You know, and Bill, that's Bill I came out. I've been <laughs> wrong before. Listen, I've covered cases where somebody was, you know, flat out guilty. And then all of a sudden, you know, they spend 10 years incarcerated and the real killer comes forward and actually knows the bit of evidence that the police always withheld. And lo and behold, we were all wrong because you're all those little pieces of circumstantial that just wouldn't, it, the, the coincidence is just impossible. And the gut feeling about the guy, he's a jerk. He seems like a liar. He's like, a, of course he's guilty. Oh, except that sometimes they're not. Right. Yeah. I want to make a point though, about the, the actions of Roberta and, and, and the, the laundries. I forgot the husband's name, but uh, to not Roberta and Chris, thank you. Uh, to not, have any communication with the Petito family when he returns to Florida. And we called this out right from the beginning. How could you do this? And when you say, who does that? Who does that? Yeah. I mean, listen, they needed to protect their son. I get that. If it were my child, I would want to protect, protect him too. But they needed to say, listen, she's not here. That's all. She. He, we don't know where she is. She's not here. They, they had an obligation. The fact that their son was engaged to their daughter yeah. and she lived in yeah. the house. Because then they'd have been lying to law enforcement and they'd have committed a crime. I think they got a hold of Bertolino real soon. And Bertolino said, you all are in a heap of trouble. You cannot say a word because if you say anything to the police that is untrue, you're on the hook as accessories and lying to law enforcement and obstruction of justice and, 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 you know. Listen, that's the that's the legal part of it. And I do get that. And that could very well be. But the moral and- part of it. I hear you. But the, yeah, there's a, there's a moral part of it that she lived in their home for a year. They were engaged. I mean, how do you, I, I could never do that. I wouldn't be able to go to sleep at night and say, listen, I, I, God forbid something happened to your daughter. We would like to have, you know, have her safely returned too. but she's not here. Or, you know, Brian hasn't told something. They should have some kind of communication. I well, get it. That's the legal you're right, standard. Bill. They, they could easily have given an answer to uh, the Petito family, and they would not have been on the hook for any law. You can lie to anybody you want. It's not illegal. You can't lie to the police. You know that. So if they had just no, said, you can lie. You, you can, can lie, lie to the police. police. You can't lie, you can't to, lie the to the FBI. FBI. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. you can't the police lie don't the have that. Yeah, the police don't have that same thing. You, you know. know? Yeah. Law, law yeah. enforcement can be lied to, you, and uh, a no. federal agent. There, there's That's a statute in the federal guidelines that However, you can't lie to. I will say family. this: you can lie to a family member or a friend. So they could have lied to the potatoes. They could have said, "We don't know." They 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 had a fight up in whatchamacallit. Um, but and that's not illegal. Then they would have done that more immoral, right? If they were lying to them, that's even more immoral. Listen, all I would love to have them said was, listen, she's not here. The van is here. He's here. We don't know what happened. Something to that effect. I mean, that's like human nature. I mean, especially the fact, like I said, it's the son's fiance. She lived in their home. How could you not answer a phone call to that? They're trying to stay off law enforcement for as long as they can. I guess so, that's but what they uh, were doing, you know. Yeah, that's the thing that, like you said earlier, who does this? That's the thing that really had me enraged right in the beginning. The fact that this kid came back on September first, 
without their daughter. They're looking for her for a few days already. I mean, they had trouble reporting her missing. There was a whole whole bunch of things that took place. I can't even imagine what those people went through, pulling their hair out of their head, not knowing the location of their daughter for that period of time. And, and I have three daughters, and they're right at the same age as Gabby was. And that just really was like a, a, a gut punch to me. And you know, unfortunately, uh, I guess you can't, you know, you can't tell people what to do. And, and probably you're right. They were going on the advice of their attorney and everyone does have a right to remain silent and stuff, but, uh, ethically they should have responded to those people. I'm sorry. And, uh, it I is agree. What it is. I mean, but again, if they knew, if they knew what we think they knew, they were stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Oh, they, they no, actually, they, I just, I want to ask something though. We found out later on that he had used her debit card for the tune of $1,000. There was people, of course, online saying, oh, why couldn't he be arrested for stealing her van? Because he had permission and authority to use her van. And the fact that we didn't even know she was dead, that didn't take away that permission and authority. So they couldn't arrest him for that. But had they known right away, I don't know what the time frame was, that he did steal from her debit card, they could have locked him up for that. I don't know what the time frame with that was, but one of the problems is when you have multiple law enforcement agencies, someone has to be the lead. I can tell you right now, if this case was in New York City, the FBI would not be the lead. We would push them out of the way and say, we'll take care of this. Yeah. But this small police department probably was intimidated by the FBI, probably. and they let the FBI make these decisions, which, look, I could have, if, if that happened in New York, I would grab Brian Laundry in and, and, and we would talk to him. And, you know, first of all, he doesn't qualify to be a missing person. A missing person is not 18 years of age or older. He's not wanted for a crime. He isn't mentally or physically impaired. There's all criteria for a missing person. He didn't qualify for any of them because he was trying to avoid arrest and prosecution. Therefore, he's not a missing person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And, and the, the very frustrating part of all of this was the runaround uh, that I think the Northport police actually had to investigate, right? Because if they have a report of a missing Brian Laundry, they now have to assign assets to this, right? How much money was spent in the, I'm trying to remember how to pronounce it, uh, that reserve. It was just such a tricky Oh, the Mayakahatchee Preserve. Mayakahatchee Reserve, yeah. I was actually, I went there on a field trip and I was waving, you know, I, I, was, I was right by that sign song about it. It's got such a good ring. But anyway, you know, millions of dollars over multiple weeks spent searching the Maya Kahachi when, again, so many things could have diverted all of that from happening. So many things. You know, there were stumbling blocks right from the beginning of this case where a Suffolk County detective had a call the Northport police and say, hey, this girl's missing. You guys better jump on this. The, the, the family had a a hard time getting even a missing persons report done on Gabby. So there was, there was a lot of uh, stumbling blocks that happened right from the onset of this thing. And then the fact that the, uh, the laundries weren't responding, cooperating any way, shape or form that just uh, complicated it even further. Yeah. What Phil is, uh, is alluding to is that a missing person report is taken at the residence of the missing person. So they were playing ping pong of on to where, which is her residence. Where do we go? Yeah, this isn't our jurisdiction. It was an easy punt, right? And I right, exactly. understand that. I understand it. First of all, she's not from here. She moved to Long Island. Second of all, she's in where? Yellowstone? Uh, you know, like wherever they were 
punting this, you know, jurisdiction, I think for Northport, they really did have to kind of figure out, is this us or is it someone else, you know? Well, they so, wanted no, they wanted no part of this. It was yeah. a hot potato, like you say. They yeah. were in over their heads, 100%. And I think the fact that the family knew this Suffolk County detective and they got a hold of him. And when he heard all the facts, he got on the phone and got the ball rolling. Thank God that yeah. it got rolling when it did. It could have been delayed even further. But uh, just that thing just sticks in my side. The fact that they didn't cooperate in any way, shape or form and they were shutting down. And that's just disgusting. And before this happened, before they went on this trip, they had a good relationship between the two families. They would talk, you know, every so often. So for them to shut down like that, that was a big, big red flag, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, we can, we can Monday morning quarterback as much as we want. I still wonder is this case still really alive in some respect? I mean, the they, the wording that the FBI used, and I, I rewrote it as you were talking, uh, Brian Laundrie, quote, directly involved with the, quote, tragic death. And then later on in the, in the very small one sheet, he's responsible. I mean, responsible. What are you talking? Again, I left her to go get a can of beans and a bear attacked her is responsible. So in, in some respect, I feel like are the you know is the FBI at least opening the possibility to allowing Northport to continue the the potential to um, charge the laundries with something, or allowing the Petitos the opportunity to launch a civil case against the laundries if in fact it can be established that they did do something to help this guy now. Here's the problem. I don't think the laundries had anything to do with whatever Brian did to Gabby up in the, you know, um, in the national park. So it's a little hard to get at, you know, to get at them for a wrongful death. Uh, but pain and suffering and everything that happened afterwards, their crime as accessories, if that happened, might be something that they could latch on to. There's $20,000 in Brian's bank account, right? And then there's all the the personal effects they had to pick between. I don't know if they came out on the losing end of that either, but they don't seem to be the kind of family that's looking for um, revenge. They sure aren't seeking it out in the press. Joe Petito wants no part of being on television to say that SOB, he just doesn't, he's not got that in him. I've also had many private conversations with him in which that doesn't come out either. It's not just a show. It's he's just a pretty sanguine guy that wants to look forward to making his daughter's life matter and uh, to, to having a, a huge movement in her name to help other parents, you know, who may end up in the same boat as they are. You know, Ashley, I think there's no doubt that there's going to be a civil case. And if if it's not about the money, it may be about getting the truth, because as we saw in the O.J. Simpson case, it's the most famous case. They couldn't prove that he killed them, even though there was 22 tractor trailers full of physical evidence. The jury still chose not to uh, uh, find him guilty. But in a civil case, it's much That's easier to get the truth. Yeah. And, so and you yeah, know, so okay. the truth, right, the truth will come out. Preponderance so if, of the evidence for yes. a civil case, nice and low, reasonable doubt for this criminal up here. Here's the problem with the laundry story. The guy, the OJ, is dead. <laughs> so you can't sue him, and you really can't even sue his, um, you know, his uh, 
what he left behind because I don't think he had a will. I think he died his in estate. His estate. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure that there's an estate that you can sue. It's maybe there's a possibility there, but you can't go after the person and the laundries aren't the responsible party for the death. They may be they may be responsible for things afterwards. Like I said, the pain and suffering that they caused the petitos, but we can't prove at this point that they knew anything. And unless it can be proven that they directly are responsible for causing the pain and suffering of the petitos, even then it's a bit of a reach. Yeah. You know what, actually, I like the fact that you brought out that there could be possibly some charges coming forward for the laundries. Now, if there was an electronic device, if there was communication with him, whether he had a burner phone or that secondary cell phone that he, they, they said his original cell phone was home. Okay. But there may have been some type of a burner phone, which he can purchase in any 7-Eleven or a Walmart. If there was communication, if they could prove that there was communication while he's actually on the lam, then I think there could be a, a criminal charge for aiding and abetting. Uh, he, he left was, it. He, he left it behind. When he went, um, when he went on the lam in the in the national park or in you know in the nature reserve in Florida, he left the burner phone back at the Florida house. Right. So if they had had communication with that burner phone before he left, saying, "Mom, I did this," and "Mom, help me get buy me a thing at uh, you know at the outdoor store because I'm going to try and make it to Mexico," then you're talking. But as far as the uh, communications between the laundries and Brian, while he was out in the alligator reserve, there's none because, well, to our knowledge, there's none because he left that burner home, but burner phone behind. Well, do we right. know for certain though, there could have been an, another phone, you know, we Maybe don't know. For all certain. we know is the purchase of one right. that was made at that AT&T store uh, right. on one of their outings uh, in that, you know, that short period of time that he was home. The other thing is we know from Bertolino that there was actually negotiation between the family and the FBI. So what was that about? I'd love to know what the, uh, I think that just, yeah, I think that negotiation was about talking about yeah. having a conversation. Will we be, will we make ourselves available to have a conversation with the FBI? Well, let's negotiate. And I think that was what that negotiation was about. I don't think it was, Will we give our son up because we know you want him? It wasn't like that because well, he wanted. I'd love to read the three hundred twos on those uh, those conversations because there might be something in there that was discussed, and you know maybe they were looking. Well, if you don't charge us, maybe we can help you. Something to that effect may be in those three hundred twos. That would be interesting to know. Phil, I love it when you talk numbers. What the heck is a three hundred two? I'm sorry, a three hundred two. <laughs> I should. I really should have clarified that. A three hundred two is the is the report that the FBI does when they get information. They do an Got interview. It. It's called a three hundred two. That's the yeah. actual name of the report. Right. It's like the, a, the detective does a complaint follow up. It's called yeah. the FBI calls it a three hundred two. We have like ten minutes left, and I just I want to touch upon this because this was probably the most talked about part of this investigation, and that was the stop by the Moab police. And every Monday morning quarterback from here to Australia has an opinion on the actions of the police. In fact, as you know, there was a 99-page report, I think, done on on uh, the behavior of the police in that they were found, uh, they found them like wrongdoing, but without malice, basically, was the language. And we watched that over and over and over. And look, I, Phil and I have gone to hundreds of domestic uh, incidents and they spent more time on that incident. They spent an hour and 15 minutes talking to them. And I didn't know at the time, though, that there was a phone call or a 911 call that said that Brian had smacked her. 
Yeah, well, they had uh, they had a, a 911 call saying, I just saw the guy smacking her on the sidewalk and they drove off. And then the responding police, I don't know how much information they got, but as it turned out, they got quite a bit. When they got them on the side of the road and separated them, Gabby immediately coughed up, I hit him first, I hit him. And he, in true abuser form, you know, was laughing and joking and being jovial with the police as if to say, she's a loon, you know, she's a crazy right. maker. That's what, that's what happens a lot. But Gabby was quite distraught. I feel like what I saw the police do was pretty impressive given the fact that they get, I think the layperson doesn't understand how many of these they get per day. Usually it's somebody with blood and a broken bone and oftentimes on the way to the hospital or in needing, you know, uh, in need of some kind of medical care. In this particular incident, that wasn't the case. There wasn't an injury that they could see. And also there was an admission right away while they were separate right? Not while he can overhear so that she can right. say, hi, I started it. Cause if I don't say this in front of him, he'll kill me. Um, they were separated and she often, that's a very unique sort of fact pattern. So I don't come down as hard as, you know, the internet does on the Moab police, because like I said, there are thousands upon thousands of these incidents that they respond to on a regular basis. And usually they are so much more acute uh, involving bodily injury. So the fact that they gave as much time as they did to this particular stop, um, you Monday, Monday morning quarterback all you want, but you should walk a mile in the officer's shoes and see how many of these incidents they come across before you, you. pass judgment, you know? 100%. You know, I think that had I known the facts as they knew them, if they were in real time, I would have, um, I would have locked up both of them. Well, and I'm I'm glad that you said that because one of the things, and you know, the internet will pile on me for for saying what I just said. But I also like to give the benefit of the doubt to officers who believe that men can be abused too, and it's true they really can. Is it the majority? Hell no, it's not. But I don't think that we should just assume that you know, uh, in in snowflake capacity, that that if if a woman says I hit him first, it's not true. I mean, I do believe it is untrue a lot. But I also believe that we should be looking at Gabby and Brian in, in an equal fashion if you're trying to assess information. You know, she owned the van. So why did they take him to the hotel? Because she owned the van. So mm. that's her domicile. If you had taken her out of that and taken her to a hotel, everybody would explode. Like, why did you do that? You know, why would you leave the poor guy, they would say, out without a place of his own. He's now driving her van. Oh, that makes him susceptible. There could have been a million ways you could crisscross this to say, if if you want to apply equal rights to this, well, you really didn't. And in this particular incident, they did. They took the owner of the van. They gave her her van. They took the man who she admitted to hitting to a place to separate them. And they right, walked so, in and, there. And they the walked big, in there. The big question is, would have an arrest prevented her from being murdered? I don't think so. I, I there, There's a fair bit of a time that elapsed between these incidents. 15 days. 15 yeah, days. and I don't think this was a, you know, a reactive murdering to, to what happened on the side of the road in Utah. I think that this was a, a guy who clearly, you know, was uh, had violent tendencies, period. You, you know, Ashley, on the, uh, the call that came in where they said, 
uh, I saw the male slapping the female and then they ran into the, uh, you know, ran up the sidewalk and got into the car in New York city. What we would do, if I was the officer that responded to that, I would say central, do you have a callback? Meaning to call that person and get more information. I don't know that yeah. that was done. But that would have been great. Yes. Family dispute, domestic violence, one-on-one separate the two individuals. They did that. They spent a lot of time there. Bill and I have said it now, knowing what we know now, obviously maybe an arrest should have been made, but what they were presented with that on that day, we don't know that they didn't try to call those people that made that 911 call and they were unavailable, didn't answer whatever. So again, they even looked up in their, uh, their guide, whether or not it met the threshold to make an arrest and they right. didn't feel it did. And now look, 15 days later, if it was the next day, then I would say, wow, By if the an way, arrest was made, it could, it could have, what's they, that? They gave them a citation. Uh, Gabby begged them not to give them the ticket where they had to come back and appear on this one. Right. They, they fell, they followed through. They didn't just say, now you two go on your merry way and right. well, let's course. behave better. They said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but this is the law. You have to appear and answer to this, what happened today. So you're gonna have to come back. And yes, you do have to face the music on this. So they, you know, they they did everything that I think that they were trained to do. Right. It's just, again, Monday, Monday morning quarterbacking is so easy when you don't work in the profession that you're critiquing and you don't see the volume of these that come through, you know, their, their, um, you know, their sphere on a regular basis. You, you could see that they didn't want to make that fatal mistake. They really tried hard. He called the supervisor. They separated them. They had a female officer there. I mean, listen, she was obviously upset. She was very, very frantic when they first got there. But then she calmed down. And and like you said, she was the one that said, oh, I hit him first and whatever. Listen, I don't think it would have like Again, without him overhearing. So this was an opportunity for her not to say, I hit him first. I hit him first. So, you know, because if he's nearby, of course, that's the biggest mistake you could ever make. And that's unforgivable. Of course, a woman is going to say within earshot of her abuser, I'm the guilty party. But he was not within earshot. She had the opportunity to say, you know, no, I didn't hit him at all. Maybe, maybe she did. I don't know. I mean, I oh, don't you know, Ashley, he had a, a, a victim, a, a, a victim who clearly died from domestic violence. Right. Yeah. Um, but well, he had cuts. Instance, we're just talking about that one instance and the what the police officers did right or wrong. And it's very hard to accuse them. Well, he had cuts around his right eye that she had smashed them with her cell phone. So initially, without knowing anything else, I would have thought, yeah, she's the primary aggressor here. But then when you, in the totality of all the circumstances there, which you didn't know in real time, it's so easy to say like it's now, so easy to think this you is know what happened. It's easy to think you know it all when you know it all. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and this 99 page report, I just have to mention one thing. I cannot believe they're recommending to put these two officers on probation. Like, yeah, are you kidding me? I, I it's like, it's, it's like internal thing. affairs. We used to say on our job. If they couldn't get you, they'd say, but he was wearing white, well, socks. white socks. Take 10 days from him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think <laughs> listen, in this in this media climate, if you are in the media bullseye, again, of the viral web, um, every single move you make is so heavily scrutinized and every move you don't make is heavily scrutinized. You're, I think Moab police were caught between a rock and a hard place. And I think that those officers paid a price for Brian Laundrie you know, there he is committing another crime up there, causing hell for officers who were out on a hot, dusty, nasty ass beat. Um, and they got caught up in Brian Laundrie's filth.
Yeah, we, we initially said that we thought they did a, a very professional job, you know, and, you know, giving uh, 75 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes to the investigation of it. And now there's a, another police department that did the investigation and they do a three-month, 90-something page report on it. It's, you know, it's easy to do that when you have all that time to put it under a microscope. Thanks, you know, Andre. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, you know, actually, we're ruining everyone's life, not just the families of your your own family, Gabby Petito, Gabby Petito's family. I mean, he really was a ruinous, ruinous soul on this earth. Yeah, absolutely. Ashley, we're coming up on an hour, and I don't want to keep you any longer than this. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm sure we could do 10 more shows on this because it's like just having a conversation. And yeah. you, you're definitely an expert on this case. And I I followed, even though we were doing this case too, I followed uh, you um, doing your reports with Brian Enton also. And it was, very, it was very informative. No, it was great. And I, I especially loved... I wish you would have had boxing gloves on when you were talking to Steven Bertolino because I think you would have you would have hit him with a left, you know. I talked to him during the break and after the show, and it was really quite amicable. Uh, believe me, I I learned a very good lesson from one of my court TV co-hosts, Jack Ford, and he said, you know, when you're in court, um, it's it it's a uh, it's adversarial. It's not acrimonious. And I always thought that is such a graceful way of looking at what they do for a living. You do not have to hate opposing counsel, but you do have to go at them with all of your might. And when you're done, go for a drink. And right. so I've always sort of, I've tried to employ that, you know, perspective when I am tough on guests, I, I still respect them for who they are and what they're doing too, and what their mission is as well. You know, when I was a young cop, I hated defense attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, final words. Final so words. Their number one tool is to say the cops screwed it up, right? That's, that's right. Their, that's These racist project. New York City cops. That was their number one thing they always used to say. These <laughs> racist cops. <laughs> well, li listen, bashing the cops is one of the ways that defense attorneys, you know, for, fly their trade. And it, sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not, but they have to bring it up, you know. Listen, right, in right. a trial, if a defense attorney comes at me and if you have a good case and I've testified at many homicide trials and you know the evidence... I have no problem at the end of it coming out, shaking hands and going for a cocktail, whatever the, the, the turnout is. But I've had attorneys actually follow me into the bathroom on a murder case and start telling me, oh, I don't think what you said, you know, counselor, you're out of line, you know, you're out of line. Away. but that, that's a story for another day. That's totally out of line. No, but you're right. That is. Out and, of line. and Phil, when you go for drinks, they better pull out that, uh, that mothball wallet that has <laughs> and buy, right? <laughs> I'm not a big drinker. I'll have a drink or two. So they won't, they won't have to, you know, go for a lot with me. Okay. <laughs> Ashley, thank you so much. Uh, you were a great guest and uh, I'm looking forward to coming on your show. Oh, on I New love Nation. You on. It's always fun. And I appreciate you inviting me to be part of the conversation today. You were great. So guys, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. Have a safe day. Thank you so much. Stay safe. One episode, just